from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. The battle to stay in the dairy business. But knew that it was the right decision from a, a business standpoint. What led one Georgia dairyman to close down business for good? Adding up the damage. This year, the losses are significantly higher. The losses experienced by Louisiana ag producers after a year of high heat and extreme drought. As the U.S. and Mexico search for common ground to stem the tide of people trying to cross at the U.S. southern border. That's right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when blood, sweat, and tears meet rain, wind, and sun. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clint Griffiths. A big concern for Texas ranchers at the border, a surge in people trying to cross the southern U.S. border. A U.S. delegation meeting last week with Mexico's president to try and find a solution. The meeting included U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, and White House Homeland Security Advisor Liz Sherwood Randall. Mexico's President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador saying he is willing to help but wants the U.S. to send more development aid to migrants' home countries, reduce or eliminate sanctions on Cuba and Venezuela, and start a U.S.-Cuba dialogue. Now, earlier this month, the seven-day average stood at nearly 10,000 unlawful U.S.-Mexico border crossings. The mayor of Eagle Pass, Texas, says his community is getting overwhelmed. Our city here in Eagle Pass, we've been getting slammed with two to 3,000 people a day, and it's just a, an unfair, unethical situation. What's going on here in Eagle Pass, we feel ignored by the federal government. Now, ahead of the meeting, Homeland Security officials discussed various ways Mexico can help drive down numbers at the U.S. border. Those include moving migrants south, controlling the railways used by migrants to move north, and providing incentives to not journey to the border, like visas to remain in the country. Now, you'll remember U.S. officials shut down the rail crossings in El Paso and Eagle Point last month due to a surge in migrants moving by train. Several ag groups spoke out against the closing since rail is a key way for the U.S. to move ag products in and out of Mexico. President Biden announcing $250 million in military arms and equipment assistance for Ukraine. That news rolling out last Wednesday from the State Department. Meanwhile, in Ukraine last Wednesday, a bulk carrier was hit by a Russian mine in the Black Sea. Ukrainian officials say two people were injured the vessel heading to a port on the Danube River to load grain. Now, the explosion caused the ship to lose speed and control. Its captain ran into ground to prevent it from sinking. Despite Russia withdrawing from the Black Sea grain deal earlier this year, Ukraine has continued to ship grain through the region. As we start the new year, drought continues to plague parts of the country, but other areas are finally seeing some relief. The latest snapshot shows that recent storms helped improve drought conditions in the south-central U.S. along the Missouri and Kansas border, while drought expanded in the central and southwest part of Texas. And despite a Christmas weekend snowstorm, snow drought is also moving into the northern Rockies. Just over 32% of the country is now in some sort of drought. That's down slightly from the previous week. 
It was a busy holiday weekend for crews in parts of North Dakota and Minnesota as they worked to get the power back on after a Christmas week ice storm toppled hundreds of power poles. There's a lot of power lines that are down. It's going to take a long time to put those back up. So time, it's going to take a lot more time than we originally thought. It looks like a warmer start than normal to the year for many meteorologists. Matt Agumbrek has a look ahead. Well, January 2nd, uh, as we start into that new year, the overall trend is going to be a little bit different than the entire month of December. Seems like two thirds of the United States had uh, one of the warmer Decembers on record, or at least top 10. Uh, we're starting shifting things around, getting more into a January or winter type pattern. Still, pocket of some warm air. This is the second through the sixth, with the possibility of above normal temperatures uh, in and across Minnesota, Wisconsin, and the northern. Uh, the UP uh, of Michigan, uh, but a pocket of some cooler air is going to sit and sag down here to the south at uh, keeping things at or just below normal uh, through Texas uh, into the Gulf Coast states, uh, even including Florida. And that's the second uh, through the sixth. Now coming up in just a little bit, we'll take a look at the jet stream and show you what to expect uh, in terms of rain or snow chances uh, for the new year as well. And we've been telling you about the ice and snow that hit portions of the northern plains. Check out the scene from Ritter Farms in north central South Dakota. They say they were expecting up to a foot of snow. Instead, they got rain, which then turned into ice. They said it was absolutely amazing and disheartening at the same time and that the damage to trees was unreal. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. Cases of highly pathogenic avian influenza continue to spread coast to coast. New York authorities are currently investigating a potential outbreak in wild geese. Meanwhile, in California, USDA confirming HPAI in an egg layer flock located in Merced County. The 709,000 birds were commercial table egg layers. Now, this follows an outbreak about a month ago of more than 250,000 birds in the Bay Area. That included culling a mix of egg layers and ducks. USDA's APHIS says since October, nearly 12 million birds have been impacted by avian flu, including some 50 commercial flocks in the U.S. California alone has seen 60 commercial flocks infected and a total of nearly 4.4 million birds. Well, commodity markets ended 2023 and many say good riddance. We'll take a look at the start of 2024 coming up next. And later, economies of scale are hard to overcome in the dairy business. We'll visit a small Georgia farm closing the door on milking in the country. Shipments of U.S. beer were projected to hit a 25-year low at the end of last year. Experts say it's due to changing consumer preferences with a move toward non-alcoholic options and canned cocktails. Now they say younger adults are drinking less alcohol overall and favor spirits over beer. Additionally, they say a Bud Light boycott stemming from an Instagram promotion with a transgender advocate had a significant impact on the domestic beer industry. But despite declining shipments, dollar sales of beer have risen, according to Anheuser-Busch InBev, the largest brewer in the U.S. We're starting a new year of trading. Ag Day's Michelle Rook looks back on how we ended last year and what's ahead this week in Markets Now. Welcome to Markets. I'm Michelle Rook with Camp Beetle with Paradigm Futures, and uh, we are starting off a new year. Kent, let's talk about what we might see in the grains in terms of farmer selling. Yeah, I think we're going to see some selling the first week of the new year. It's very uh, typical for the U.S. farmer who hasn't um, 
uh, who hasn't deferred income uh, to go out and sell some bushels that they may have uh, not sold for tax purposes. So, um, you know, we've had uh, a couple good years of farm income, and so there there's uh, less selling that may have taken place, and some of that uh, selling for cash flow purposes then will uh, start to resume here in the first of the year. That's pretty typical of of any normal year. We tend to get some of that early on. And in terms of the grains, what about portfolio rebalancing by some of these investment funds? So in the index funds or the you know the the passive uh, investment funds with pensions and the like, uh, you have a tendency you know the first uh, few weeks of the new year to see a rebalancing of the portfolio, and you know grains were one of the poorer performing assets in that portfolio here this past year. So we really should see some buying, net buying of, uh, of corn, soybeans, and wheat against potentially some net selling of the uh, of the stronger commodities. And then we go into the January 12th report. Are we going to lean a little bearish going into that, you think? Uh, I think most analysts are going to expect a small increase in yield um, in both corn and beans on that report, uh, primarily because of the November report that saw yields uh, rise slightly on that report. You know, we were a long ways uh, harvested by the time of the November report. There's not going to be a lot of new uh, objective data for that report. I think we were in the in the 90% of uh, plots that had been harvested by the enumerators. But, you know, there's a little bit left to go. And then, of course, uh, some of that will also uh, have to do with the farmer survey uh, that may tighten that up just a little right. bit. But I think the trade will be looking for a slightly higher yield. Thanks for joining us, Ken Vito with Paradigm Futures. We'll have RIB coming up. That's something we often don't look at uh, regarding uh, the winter season, uh, but something I do want to revisit regarding the drought monitor as we are starting to see, again, dry conditions not only persist, but expand in and across the Gulf Coast states, but also into Tennessee, uh, even Indiana and Michigan uh, still uh, seeing a bit of a drought with uh, even more uh, extreme conditions uh, back into uh, Omaha, but also uh, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, and back down into uh, New Mexico and Texas as well. So again, there's the updated a drought monitor going forward. The overall pattern is going to support a little bit more rainfall and snow with a low pressure system coming in for our Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And this is going to mix both the cold air and warm air. So we'll get some snow and also some rain depending on where you're located. So again, there's Tuesday at 6 p.m. Uh, ample amount of cloud cover with this next system. And then you start to see that snow show up back up here to the north, a little bit heavier rain into parts of Texas. Now, so go forward through your Tuesday and into your Tuesday night and you see that rain continues to wrap back up into this low pressure system with some streaks of snow. Nothing too substantial, but it is worth noting into Wednesday, uh, we start to dry things out with the snow and keep the rain going back down here to the south. Otherwise, the southeast remaining pretty cloudy, uh, but otherwise dry. Looked at this earlier. Now, this goes through the 10th, January 4th through the 10th, uh, that warm piece of uh, the atmosphere 
continuing to stick around parts of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, but also extending back into upstate New York and the Northeast. That's the 4th through the 10th. And you see we retreat with that cooler than normal or below normal temperatures and uh, mainly sequestered back down here near the four corner states as well as Southern California uh, through the 10th with about average conditions uh, everywhere else. Now here's a look at that jet stream coming up on Wednesday. We'll see a low pressure system try to dip through parts of the United States inverted trough, I'll call it that. Some colder air back up here to the northeast, but a ridge trying to build back in across the United States. That's going to be Thursday and into Friday. We'll start off in Pennsylvania, mostly sunny, high around 38 degrees, low of 30. Vicksburg, Mississippi, partly cloudy, high of 53, low of 34. Lone Rock, Wisconsin, just a single rock and a high around 37. The drought situation is improved. Record heat and exceptional dryness ravaged Louisiana agriculture in 2023. Every crop across the state felt the effects. LSU Ag Center correspondent Craig Gotro reviews the 2023 crop year and the impacts on Louisiana. For farmers and ranchers, the summer and fall weather of 2023 will be memorable for all the wrong reasons. Temperatures ranged three degrees above average and precipitation levels were nearly cut in half leading to significant losses for agricultural producers. The total impacts from the wildfires and the drought approached $1.7 billion, and plant commodities accounted for over half of that total, with soybeans and sugarcane being the most significantly impacted crops. An LSU accident report estimated soybean producers lost more than $322 million because of increased irrigation costs, quality issues, and yield reduction. The losses for sugarcane producers won't be fully determined until after the grinding season is complete in January. It's the average yield per acre for Louisiana sugarcane to be about 28 and a half tons per acre. Now that's up month over month, but that's still close to four tons below where we were in 2022. Animal enterprises were also not spared by the weather. The damages for livestock were almost $390 million. Uh, growers indicated revenue reductions from uh, forced liquidations, lack of weight gain, and in some cases, uh, animal deaths. Louisiana agriculture had a rough year last year because of the weather, which caused producers to receive disaster payments. This year, the losses are significantly higher, so farmers will be looking for more disaster aid. I know our congressional delegation is actively pursuing additional funding due to the severity of the drought conditions that we've had. And unfortunately, we're not alone in the South with seeing those drought conditions persist. Forestry, Louisiana's number one agricultural commodity, suffered at least $325 million in losses, and this number is expected to rise. With the LSU Ag Center, this is Craig Gocho reporting. From crops to cattle, 2023 was tough on a lot of operations. Up next, saying goodbye to a small dairy farm in Georgia, in the country. It's not hard to see that a crisis is growing among America's small dairy farms, as many are closing their doors. One of them that recently closed is Donison Dairy in Bibb County, Georgia. As Ray D'Alessio of the Georgia Farm Monitor tells us, it was the last farm in that county to shut its barn doors.
there's parts of it that you are glad you don't have to deal with anymore, but there's a lot of it that you come and you see an empty barn and an empty pasture. Um, it's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. With the fields of Bibb County serving as its backdrop, 50 years have passed since Donison Dairy filled its first container of milk. What was once a bustling hub of life, the heart of a dairy empire, is now a haunting shell of its former glory. Empty milk tanks loom like silent sentinels, bearing witness to the decades of hard work and dedication that had once coursed through the veins of this family-owned business. Stalls where cows had been passionately milked day after day, now layered with cobwebs. The quietness of the church and in my office, I opened this uh, Jameson Fawcett uh, Brown commentary. Uh, pages in it are old and thin and, and discolored. And I was reading the commentary on that passage of scripture in verse 62's uh, commentary, the very last sentence of that uh, commentary of that verse said it's not a return to the world, but a reluctance to break from it. And when I read that, that was, um, I, I broke down in my office that morning and tears come to my eyes and uh, it, God said it's time, they, they, they have to go. Benjamin Newberry, the patriarch of the family, looks over his once active milking stations, struggling with an identity he had known his entire life. Like so many small dairymen in his position, the business has transformed from a labor of love into a struggle for survival. According to Benjamin, the traditional gallon of milk, the lifeblood of the Newberry farm, is now wielded as a lost leader by grocery stores and markets. Additionally, he points out the squeeze on profits, milk prices, and a perpetual freefall, while the cost of feeding his beloved cows constantly on the rise. People too are changing their tastes, gravitating towards non-dairy alternatives. The world has moved on, says Benjamin, and the Newberry's farm was caught in the undertow of change. It was part of my identity, it was part of who I was. I grew up on the farm, I um, stayed on the farm, I raised my kids on the farm and um, just had a reluctance to break from it, but knew that it was the right decision from a, a business standpoint and um, but also because God said it was time and uh, so that's what what it did. At their peak Donison Dairy had about 300 cows. Today this is all that remains. A couple of Holsteins, a handful of jerseys and some beef cattle. Yet the true heartbreak is the impact the closing of the dairy will have on the Newberry family. Benjamin often dreamt of passing the farm down through generations, watching his children and their children tend to the cows he had lovingly cared for. Now, their legacy is forced to take a different path, a new avenue not yet paved. Although his heart is heavy, Benjamin tells me he is grateful for what really matters most, his family, his faith and position as pastor of Calvary Baptist Church and the entire community of Bibb County, which Benjamin says has gone above and beyond to show its support. There was 42 dairies in this county in the early 70s, and uh, we were the last uh, of them to survive. And um, you don't realize how many uh, people you affect in life 
until you experience a life-changing moment. And uh, it's been good. And I'm grateful, grateful for it. I really, really haven't uh, been short of things to do, but as far as what my identity will be if I tell people what I'm doing, it would probably be just uh, continuing to pastor Calvary Baptist Church and loving on the people and helping where I can. All right, thanks Ray and the Georgia Farm Monitor for sharing that story with us. And that's all of our time this morning. From all of us here at AgDay, I'm Clint Griffiths. Have a great day out in front.